Good morning. Oh, it's wonderful to see you this morning. I want to tell you about an older lady who was preparing her will. And she decided that she needed to speak with her pastor, and she told her pastor that she had two final requests. The first request was that she be cremated. The second request is that her ashes would be scattered throughout Walmart. As you can imagine, the pastor was very confused. I mean, I, I go to Walmart. I've told you, I go to Walmart just to see the people, okay? If I don't get enough people on Sunday, I, I head to Walmart, okay? And the pastor said, very confused, he said, why Walmart? And she said, that way, my daughters will be sure to visit me twice a week. John, <laughs> you guys aren't laughing at that one. That, did it start a little close to home? What? I'm not exactly sure, you know. I, <laughs> it's horrible. It's not horrible. She wanted to be by her family. John Maxwell says this, family and friendships are two of the greatest facilitators of happiness. The problem is that family can also be one of the greatest sources of our frustration. Thank you. Wow, it's a rough crowd today. I don't know who said it, but someone wrote this. Having somewhere to go is home. Having someone to love is family. But having both is blessed. I believe that God has created us to be in a family relationship to bless us. We're starting a new series. It's called The Church As. And today we're going to talk about the church as family. Over the next five weeks, we're going we're gonna to touch on about five different uh, ways that the Bible describes the body of Christ, the church. But today, it's the church as family. Now, some of you, I know what you're already thinking. You're thinking to yourself, as soon as I said family, you're saying, but you don't understand how dysfunctional my family is. In fact, they're so dysfunctional, I come here to get away from my family. Because my family goes to another church, and I'm not going to that church because of the dysfunction. Okay? So when you think of the, the, the scriptures calling the, the, the church the, a family, describing it like a family, it doesn't do anything positive for you. It actually does something negative, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you today. But I want to remind you of something, and I, I, I mean this wholeheartedly. This is not in jest. I want you to remember something. We read in Genesis chapter 1 on the sixth day of creation that God created man. He created them, the scripture says, male and female. And at the end of that day, God looked at all he had created, and you know what he said? It 
is good. I think Adam, under his breath, maybe even audibly, after God said that, he probably said, oh yeah, Lord, it is good. Because God had created and ordained a relationship between he and Eve. Sam, on on your wedding day, Sam, I know what you were thinking. You were thinking, it is good. As she came down the aisle, as Krista came down the aisle, I was there, man. I I saw the reaction. I had the best seat in the house, and you were thinking, it's good. But I I want you to track with me now, okay? Adam and Eve's first two sons were Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel out of jealousy. It didn't take only one generation from perfection to murder. Imagine what the enemy can do in your family and my family with thousands of years. Is it any wonder why our families are sometimes as dysfunctional as they are, it's because the enemy has had free reign for hundreds, if not thousands, of years of history. Today we're going to look at some different characteristics of the family and how they are related to the church. The first thing I want to look at is that the family is founded on a covenant relationship. You see, God ordained marriage. It's a covenant relationship. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, it says this, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. It doesn't just say that in the book of Genesis, but Jesus affirms it in his ministry, and then the apostle Paul reaffirms it again in one of his letters in the book of Ephesians. The relationship between a husband and wife is foundational to the family. That covenant that exists between a husband and wife, that is foundational. That's why divorce is so destructive in a family because that covenant relationship is broken. Most of us, we can point to a a couple in our families, in our lives. We can point to them and say, that's the foundational one. Do you know what I'm talking about? For some of you, it's your grandparents. You look at your grandparents and you, they're like, they're like the model, okay? They're like the model. They've been married 50 or 60 years. Today would have been my in-laws. 68th ninth, 69th anniversary if my mother-in-law was still alive. That's a long time. We look at, at that relationship. Maybe, maybe for you it's your mom and dad. Maybe it's even an aunt or an uncle in uh, their marriage and they just stand apart as, as a standard. We look to that covenant relationship and we understand that that relationship brings a, a sense of health to the family and it's that like people are looking to them and they're saying, I wanna model my relationship. I wanna model my marriage and my family 
after them. We have that, 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 that relationship, that covenant relationship that we can look at and we can model. But you see, we can't pick our family of origin. We don't have that, that option. I mean, if I could pick my family of origin, I, I, don't, I don't know, I mean, Bill Gates, I mean, somebody with a lot of cash, you know what I'm saying? But we can't pick our family of origin. And due to the fall of man, due to Adam's sin, due to the curse that fell upon the earth, our families are not perfect. We don't want people to get the, the impression that we think our fam, that our families are perfect, right? I don't want anybody to have that impression because if you have that impression, you have the wrong impression. But this relationship that, that is at the center of it, it's at the core of the family, is a covenant relationship. I don't think it's any surprise that I've been married now for 39 years, having two relationships, my parents and my in-laws, that both lasted throughout the duration of, of their lives. That covenant relationship. And God has created the church, and here's what I want you to get, as a covenant relationship between his people and himself. The relationship between Jesus and his followers. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 25. He says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We're gonna talk more about this in this series, but, but the Bible really here is, is, is making a comparison between a bride and a groom and the church and Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? There is a direct correlation, there's a direct comparison that, that Paul is making between a bride and a groom and the church and Jesus. And it, it, doesn't, say, it doesn't say a couple that's been married 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50. It's a bride and a groom because on that day, it generally doesn't get any better than at that moment. Guys, as she's coming down the aisle and we're fighting back some emotion because we see this beautiful woman who has said she will be ours, that is the direct correlation. He said it's, it's, a, it's a bride, it's, some, it's, a, it's a, a body that is without spot or wrinkle and we think of what a wedding day looks like. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, the second half of the verse, Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're having the, the last supper together and Jesus says this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
At the end of my message, we're gonna celebrate communion together. Jesus said there's a covenant relationship between you and me. But unlike our marriage relationships, the covenant between Jesus and us, none of it's due to how good we are or how perfect we are because we're not. We're imperfect. But that covenant relationship, it's the foundation to the church family, the covenant relationship between Jesus and his follower, Jesus and his bride. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, Yet to all who received him, meaning Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So this covenant that we have with Jesus has brought us into the family of God. The church relationship is based on that covenant. When we accept Jesus, we become part of the family of God. The church becomes the body. The church becomes a family based on that covenant that happens between Jesus and his followers. Next, I want to look at the fact that a family is generally called by a common name. I've told this story before. If you've heard it, please forgive me. But I'll never forget the day when I was a, a young teenager and I walked into a barber shop and, and I, I love getting my hair cut. I know you can't tell that uh, from where you sit, but, but I, I generally, I, I cut my hair every day, okay? Yes, I cut it with a razor, but I cut it every day. Okay, and it's been getting more frequent throughout my life until now I can just have at it, okay? But I walked into that barber shop and a guy, the, this guy kind of caught me off guard, but he said, don't say a word, not one word. Now, my parents had said stuff to me like that lots before, but he said, don't say a word. I know who you are. He said, you are Larry Taylor's kid. I said, how did you know that? He said, everything about you, every, every move that you make, everything just screams your dad. Now, I don't know if you have that in your family or not, but we're starting to see that passed on because now we have a mini Benjamin that's in our house and people look at him that new... Uh, Pastor Ben, when he was a little boy, and they go, oh my goodness, it's literally a little Benjamin running around. There's that, that incredible uh, similarity. There's that relationship. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, he said, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You bear a name. You say, what is that name? In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the second half of the verse, it tells us the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The word that you, the name that you bear is the name Christian. Now, now let me just take a second here because there's a lot of people that 
consider themselves Christian. The question is, how do you define Christian? If you ask somebody, why do you consider yourself a Christian? There are a significant number of people that will tell you because I was born in America. America, being born in America does not make you a Christian. The word Christian, it means a follower of the Messiah. So instead of asking someone if they're a Christian, ask them, or if they say, I'm a Christian, say, oh, you're a follower of the Messiah. And if they look at you weird, you're going to say, okay, that tells me something about your definition of what a Christian is. But the, the, the name Christian is the same to a follower of Jesus as Taylor is in my family. And I'm, I'm proud to be called a Taylor. And I know that by two o'clock today that my dad is gonna be watching this service, okay? He just does. Dad, I'm proud to carry your name. I'm proud to be known as your son. But I'm a follower of the Messiah. When we're part of the body of Christ, we are called by a common name. And it's not Silver Creek Church. It's not Harvey Baptist. You see what I'm saying? It's not the Catholic Church down the street. It's not St. Louis the King Catholic Church. It is Christian. And not, not the definition that the world wants to attach to it, but it's the fo- being a follower of the Messiah. Thirdly, a family, generally speaking, has a, a common habitation. We, we, we live in the same place. Generally speaking, um, for at least a period of time, it's not always the same, but a, a few weeks ago, I got to tell you this, I was uh, doing a, a funeral uh, one day, and the next day was the graveside committal, and um, I'd never met uh, the deceased before, and um, I came back the next day for the, the, the graveside committal, and as I approached the family, the brother of the deceased, he kind of points at me. People point at me a lot, evidently, but he points at me, and he said, do you live in the judge's house? I'm like, what a weird thing to say. And I said, yes, I do. I said, we bought it four years ago. And he said, with real excitement, he said, I was raised in that house. He said, when my mom died, he said, my sister took me in another room and she said, they're gonna try to split us up. She said, we're gonna run away. She said, we're not gonna let them split us up. She said, we, he said, we walked out of that room into the main part of where we were and he said, my aunt, who was married to the judge, my aunt and her husband came up to us instantly and said, you're coming home with us. He said, I love that house. He said, in fact, when I come into town, he said, I drive by that house. There was something, we, we, weren't, we weren't related, okay? There was something there because 
he had time in that house and we're in that house now and there was a connection that takes place. How much greater is the connection when we actually live in the same house and are a part of the same family unit? When we are in the same place, there's something that happens to us. And the same can be said of the church. In Acts chapter 22 and verses 44 and 46, it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. They found ways to be together. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. One of the things in Jewish custom in the city of Jerusalem was they would go to the temple every day at three o'clock to pray. And so they would just use that opportunity to gather together, to be together. There's something about being together. As the body of Christ, and I realize that we can't all be together every day, but we need to strive to, to do life together whenever possible. Number four, family, there's a membership through birth and through adoption. Thanksgiving comes in 53 days. It's the holiday where my entire family gets together every year, there will be four generations this year. My two brothers and I now all have grandkids, and so our families will all be there. But some families are born of blood, and some are born of ink. You say, what does that mean? Maybe you weren't born by blood into your family, but maybe you were adopted, and someone signed on the dotted line, and you became part of that family. In my family, you can't tell the difference. And there are some that came through ink and you can't tell because they act just like their dad, just like a tailor. We've been born into a family. When the Bible, when Paul refers to the, the how, the God's household, the Greek word, it means belonging to the house. It means persons related by kinship or circumstance. People who form a closely knit group, an association in common with a cause or a belief. Now this morning, maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I don't really feel part of God's family. I don't really feel part of even the church because... I don't feel like I deserve it. Maybe I don't feel worthy of it. Anyone who's adopted tell you being adopted is a choice that, that parents make. If you've adopted a child, you understand it. You understand what that means. When they tell you we have a child would you like to adopt it? You just say yes. Yes. That's exactly the way God looks at us when we come to Jesus. God says yes. You are my adopted child. 
In fact, in Romans chapter 15, or 8 and verse 15, it says, The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the words, the phrase, Abba, Father, we would, we would liken that most similarly to when our child calls us Daddy. That's the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father because he's adopted us into the family. And you might feel like you're not worthy and you know what the truth is, you're not. But neither am I. And neither is anyone else. And we were born not of blood, but we were born of the Spirit when we come to Jesus We're born of the Spirit, the Bible says. We are part of his family. And number five is the responsibility of the members. That's what family is. Some of you, I know some of you, and and I'm gonna ask that our ushers would just, uh, they're gonna get ready to pass out our communion elements. The worship team's gonna come into place. And as they do that, a lot of you, some of you I know are, are taking and have taken care of parents, and it's not, it's not easy. Um, it's challenging. Some of you, some of you, you're, you're taking care of a spouse. And it's not easy. Some of you are taking care of children that have illness or grandchildren that, that struggle physically. And that's what we do because... We're family. In Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says this, beginning in verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This morning, as they begin to just distribute the communion elements, I just invite you to grab that and, and pass it on down. Both the bread and the, and the uh, juice are in the same cup. You can separate the two cups when you get it. After you've been served, we're going to stand together, and we're going to do something. We've done it plenty of times before. But we're going to get together as a family. And so after you've been served, I'm just going to invite you to come on up. We'll just call, this is going to be our living room. Come on, just come on up. Just, just come on up. Become part of the family. And you say, well, man, this is, this is corny. This is stupid. Let me tell you something, friends. There's, a, there's family members that need, they need to be together as a family. They need it. They desire it. It doesn't matter if you're a part of Silver Creek Church. It's okay. Come on. We're going to invite everybody. Come on up. Join us here this morning as we worship the Lord for just a moment. And they're going to lead us in a song that talks about that he's the same God today. That he's the same God, this God of power Don's going to lead us. The team's going to lead us. And after they're done with this song, we're going to... We're going to celebrate communion together. So let's wait until all have been served. But let's just remember today that, that Jesus created us as the church. We are part of his family. Amen.
Don, would you lead us? This morning as we partake in the Lord's Supper, maybe you're saying to yourself, you know, I just don't feel that, that somehow I deserve to be part of God's family. Friends, I want you to know that the scripture says that God loved the world so much that he gave his son, his only son, Jesus, so that those who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God calls, I believe, the heart of every man, woman, and child, and he calls them into a relationship with himself. The only question is, will they say yes? And if you've said yes to that call, you're a part of the family of God. You're a part of his family. You've been adopted into the family. Father, I pray for that person this morning that has been struggling with that feeling of unworthiness. And I pray that today they will understand that they're a part of the family of God. I'm so thankful that the Bible says that Jesus took the bread And when he broke it, he blessed it. And he said, this is for you. This is my body, which is for you. He said, as as often as you do this, you remember the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we say thank you that Jesus gave his body for us, that he was willing to go to the cross for us. Father, I pray today, Lord, that we would remember what Jesus has done for us. And as his body, we partake of the bread in Jesus' name. Would you partake of it together? The Bible says that after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Father, it's the blood of Jesus that makes the foundational covenant relationship between Jesus and his followers. And so, Father, today we declare that we believe that the blood of Jesus forgives our sins. Father, your word says that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And we say thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood on the cross for us. Thank you for making us part of the family of God. And we remember today what Jesus has done for us in Jesus' name. Would you partake of the cup together? Now I know that in your family, You've got some people that they're a part of your family, but to be honest, you think they're weird. We all do. Everybody does. But you know what? I think it's hilarious how we can sort of poke fun at a family member, but don't let anybody else outside of our family do that, right? Because that's my family. As dysfunctional as we are, we protect our own. And I want you to know that you're a part of a family of God. You're part of a church family. And you know what? You don't have to worry about being weird because I'm in this family and I can be the weird one for all of us. But you're part of the body of Christ, the family of God. I want, just look around for a second. 
just look, look across the room, look around you and see other people that are a part of this family. They're a part of this body of Christ. You know what? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. We're a part of his body. Father, I pray that you will bless this body, this family of believers today, the family of God that resides at 219 Silver Creek Road. God, thank you for this body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.